On today's episode of Stuff That Matters, we have perhaps our most unique interview to date as we are honored to welcome on motivational keynote speaker, world record holder, author, podcast host, and mother of seven, Jen Drummond. Jen was living a rather successful and normal life as a business owner and mom till a horrific car accident in 2018 changed everything. It should have ended her life, but it instead gave Jen a new perspective and a new ambition on life as she turned that near fatal experience into perhaps the biggest turning point. She set out to change who she was and how she lived her life. With the help and motivation of her kids, she set several goals for herself, living a new and improved life, one of which was start climbing mountains. And now it's not the mountains that you might see in Western North Carolina or even Utah where she currently resides, but it's some of the most infamous mentally and physically demanding mountains in the world, like Mount Everest and K2. Jen became the first woman to climb the seven second summits. The pursuit matched her desire to live a life of significance, not just success. After listening to Jen, you might have the urge to start training to climb a mountain, or at the very least, take a look at your life and maybe add some more significance rather than focusing on success. You can listen to her on the Seek Your Next Summit podcast and read about her stories in her upcoming book called Breakproof, which will be released on January 9th of 2024. Now, enough of me. Here's the full interview with Jen Drummond. Welcome to another episode of Stuff That Matters. Today, we are so honored to welcome on Jen Drummond. She's a motivational keynote speaker, world record holder, an author, podcast host, and also so much more. Jen, thank you so much for joining us here today. Hey, thanks for having me today. Happy to be here. So, Jen, I don't, you know, I don't know if a lot of our audience will be familiar with you or not. So let's just start at the beginning. You know, who is Jen Drummond? Where do you want to start your story? Sure. Um, I'm a mom of seven, which is crazy because I struggled with fertility issues and then had assistance. And so now I have the opposite end of that story of abundance <laughs> from nothing. Um, I'm a business owner. So I went to college, learned finance, started a financial firm, grateful for that. Um, I had I was self-employed for a long time. And then finally realized like I needed to hire myself out of a job to truly be a business owner. So I stepped into that phase of life, was a stay-at-home mom for a while. And I mean, not that I wasn't grateful for that position. I just felt like I was meant for more, but I sold myself the story that once my kids went to college then, right? I think we all know that if then, when this happens, then I can have that and um, a car accident woke me up to that might not be the best way to live. So in 2018, I was in a horrific car crash that should have taken my life and didn't. And I will say instead woke me up to living. And I realized I don't get to choose when I die, but I sure get to choose how I live. And that started me on this whole new thing of what's living, who's Jen, if I was to die next year, what do I want my legacy to mean and shifted everything. Did that, was that an immediate, uh, walk us through that a little bit, obviously not in like the, like gory details, but uh, I'd want to get under the hood of a lot of people have terrible things that happen to them and that's not the response. Was that an Im- immediate, like, how did, how exactly did that um, light bulb 
Go on. Yeah. So I got into the accident and came home and was just shaken up, right? As one would be from an accident of that magnitude. I got a phone call from the police a few weeks later saying they rebuilt the accident at least 50 different ways, could not build a scenario where I lived, let alone walked away. Um, so that just kind of like re-hit at home. And then at the same time, a girlfriend of mine went running. And she asked me actually to go running with her that day. And I said, I couldn't, it was wet out. It wasn't great conditions. It was a trail that you and I could push a stroller on. She slipped, hit her head and never came home. So I'm trying to metabolize these two extreme events. One where I'm like, my car looks like a a smushed tin can and she does something healthy and doesn't get to come back. And really just in my metabolizing of those events, I realized we don't get to choose when we die. Like we really don't, but we do get to choose how we live. And each day we have a choice in how we show up and what we're going to do. And the things we do today determine options that we have in our future. What's the biggest difference between Jen pre-2018 and Jen post-2018? Yeah, um, pre-2018, I was this on life. I was vice gripping. You wanted to challenge me. I doubled down, go harder, re, you know, whatever. And that accident taught me the power of surrender. There was no way I was going to outbeat that car at that speed, at that clip, at the rotations. And I remember the second I saw the semi hit the passenger side, Ooh. I said, if I don't learn to, re- I have to relax. In fact, like what ran through my head is the only people that survive car wrecks are the drunk drivers. So I have to surrender to what is. And so I remember like sticking my hands on the steering wheel, putting my head on the headrest and just talking myself through the accident. Okay, I'm going to roll once. I'm going to roll twice. I'm going to roll three times. Now I don't have enough momentum to go end over end. Now I'm going to start doing the sideways rolls. And I just remember thinking like, just roll with the car, just roll with the car, just roll with the car. And when the guy pulled out, like there was a person that came to the car and he was yelling, like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? I could hear it, but I wasn't registering it. And then he peeled back the steering, like the windshield and he looked at me. He's like, are you okay? And I remember looking back at him thinking, I must not be because your facial expression (laughs) is telling me I'm not okay. And so I was too afraid to look at my body. And I closed my eyes and I wiggled my fingers and toes. And I remember saying out loud, I can feel my fingers and toes. I can feel my fingers and toes. I'm going to be okay. He said, you are. And I just, I, I hold on to that piece so often because I think so many of our lives, we're looking outside of ourselves if we're okay. And right. there's something in that environment that's telling us we're not. Right. So then we're trying to adjust or make it whatever, do something different. And when I learned to close my eyes and shut out everything else and determine myself if I'm okay or not, that's been a superpower in things I've done from that point forward. Wow. So I'm I'm very interested. I have three kids, right? And if I change my hairstyle or do something that's not that's minimally different my kids notice it like immediately i'm curious the feedback you've received from your kids like 
Do they say, boy, mom, since the act, did they notice a change? What kind of feedback do they give you? What are you hearing from the kids ever since that accident? I remember two of my kids fighting after the accident. And normally I'd be that mom that would intervene. Like, stop fighting with your sibling. Let's get along. Like, blah, 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 blah. And I just remember watching the fight. And I was in awe that I have these two children that are so convinced of their opinion. And they love their sibling so much that they want their sibling to feel or see things the same way. Like, how cool is that? And I remember like I didn't intervene. I was like every moment after that accident was a bonus moment, right? Like I almost didn't get to witness this thing or that thing or whatever. And so my kids fought, they figured it out and they looked at me and they're like, mom, you didn't say anything. I'm like, it wasn't my place to say anything. You guys figured it out. And I realized like how much really does do we need to intercept or how much can we just hold space for what is and appreciate the beauty even in the ugly right right and letting go of some of that stuff a little bit right like i i try to get involved in everything my kids do i'll go watch them play sports and there are times when i just have to like not over coach them in certain moments and just let it be sometimes it's kind of a uh, empowering feeling when you can do that and when you can recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. How, how old, how old are your children? May I ask that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I have a 17 year old's my oldest and I have twin 10 year olds as my youngest. So mine are all packed in close together. Um, they're six years and two months from the top to the bottom. And, and do they participate in these adventures with you? I know, you know, looking at your your profile and checking checking out some things on LinkedIn and whatnot, are they doing some of these mountain climbing expeditions with you? Are they training with you? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I would say the ex the second summits, which are the second highest point on each of the seven continents that I got the world record for, those are not kid friendly. And many times the countries I'm going to are not kid friendly in the environments that I'm in, if I had to be honest with you. Um, but like my big kids will go to the gym together and they'll lift weights and I'll lift weights. Um, my little kids, when I was training for Mount Logan, you have to carry all your gear in a sled and you're skiing up a hill. When the ski resort was closed at night, I would bring a sled. I'd put one of my 10 year olds in the sled and I'd ski them up the hill. And then they get to ride the sled down, right? And so they did that. Or some of my kids played soccer and I needed to train and be a mom. So I had to figure out how to fit it all in. Right. And so a lot of times I was the mom on the sideline at the soccer game with a 12 inch step and a backpack full of water bottles going up and down while he was playing a soccer game so I could get fitness in and he he could be watched. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, Jen, is the mountain the mountain climbing? Is that all post twenty eighteen? Was that is that the big like? So prior to twenty eighteen, you were not walking around Mount Kilimanjaro. Just Nothing. So I mean, I live in Park City, so I live by mountains. But what happened after the car accident was I'm like I don't even know who I am anymore. And so twenty nineteen, I mean, I literally had like a state of the union address with my kids, and I said, okay, listen mommy is going to be changing some things up. 
And it's going to shift things for all of us. So we just have to communicate with what's working and what's not working and figure it out. But mommy wants to start doing more mom. And so, I mean, I literally would start going out to dinner at restaurants and stuff again, just be like, do I like pizza? Do I like pasta? Or I only like leftover chicken nuggets. I can't remember. And then I started making a list of things I wanted to do, see and experience. So like my whole family would participate in those vision boards, right? Like, where do you want to go? I want to know what pasta tastes like in Italy, right? At some point in my life, there's a lot of things I want to do. And on that list was climb a mountain. Well, 2020, I was turning 40. So when I was like, oh, I'm turning 40, I'm going to do something epic to launch this next decade of life. And on my list of 2019's climb a mountain stood out. And it only stood out because I kept thinking, if I get older, this is going to get harder. So this is something I'm going to want to do now because everything else can kind of wait. And I had friends that were in mountaineering. When you live in a ski resort, there's a lot of mountaineers around. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, like, if you could climb one mountain and the whole world, what mountain would you climb? And the general consensus was a mountain named Ama de Blom, which I had never heard of, but it was in Nepal. And in fact, it's the Paramount Pictures logo. So my friends are like, every time you go watch a movie, you can be like, I climbed that mountain that has the stars all the way around it, right? I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, for sure. That's a great mountain to climb. Well, my, you know, if we all recall back to 2020 in the beginning, COVID hit. And so now we were not traveling anywhere. And in fact, I was a homeschool teacher to seven children because school shut down and all the other things. And one of my guys was struggling with his math homework. I'm like, listen, buddy, we do hard things. You've got this. And he looks at me and he goes, if we do hard things, why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde instead of a real mountain like Mount Everest? <laughs> I'm like, I'm a blonde, not I'm a dumb blonde, but thank <laughs> you. We'll look at Everest. So we did. And he went to bed and I was still looking at it. And I thought, you know what? We get one life. If he thinks Everest is the hardest thing in the whole world, I'm going to climb it. And I'm going to show him that whatever our Everest is, we got, we can do it. Well, wow. so, so yeah. walk us through, you know, tell, tell us a little about that experience, the prep, the training, any, um, what, what about, I know there had to be a couple, holy crap, I can't do this moments, both leading up to it and maybe during it, just walk us yeah. through a little. Yeah, right. So I, so I'm going to train for Everest. I call a coach. He hands me a book about becoming an uphill athlete. I'm like, okay, fine. And um, that book is what stimulates the seven second summits because there's a lady who got a Guinness world record in the front of that book. I was feeling like a deflated parent when I talked to my coach. I told him like, I could have done that. Like I could have gotten the Guinness world record and my kids would think I'm cool because I'm not cool as a homeschool teacher and the world's falling apart and nothing looks great. So I don't know. Let's try this. And he's like, I'll think of something. So he came up with the seven second summits. And I'm like, I didn't even know what they were when he told them to me. I'm like, it sounds like a tongue twister. And he's like, listen, second highest point of each of the seven continents, harder than the first seven, only been done one way male. You'd be the first female, seven mountains, seven continents, seven kids. Sounds like a jackpot. So he sold me. I'm like, okay, fine. So I said yes to something. I'd never slept in a tent before. I'd never really climbed a mountain before. I'd never whatever, but I feel like it was one of those, this sounds so exciting. It'd be silly to say no. And we can figure out the how. Obviously someone's climbed these things before, so I'll figure out the how. And that's been like the whole journey. When I was looking to train for Everest, 
most expeditions are eight weeks long. I can't be gone for eight weeks. Like, are you kidding me? That's not even an option. (laughs) So when it's not an option, then you start looking out there and figuring out, okay, what can I do to cut down being gone for eight weeks? Well, there's a company called Hypoxico that made tents for beds that stimulated an environment that didn't have a lot of oxygen. They use it for football players when they go to play in Denver and all of a sudden they go from sea level to 5,000 feet. Like there's things that are available to enhance performance. So I call this company. I'm like, hey, can I buy one of these tents? Yes, you can. So I buy one. So now my Everest expedition is three weeks instead of eight. Not ideal, but three weeks is tolerable because my biggest fear of going to Everest wasn't climbing Everest. My biggest fear going to Everest was like leaving my kids. Mm. Right. And so then the crazy thing is, is I went to the kids school and I said, hey, listen, I'm going to be gone for three weeks. I've never been gone this long. Can you guys have a little more patience and grace with my children, grandmas and everything's covered, but you just know how it is when mom's gone. And then the school says, well, why don't you come in and do a what's your Everest campaign for the kids? And so I went in there, I talked to the kids about setting an Everest goal. We put a huge mountain in the front of the school and we had a little hiker that was me. I had a tracking device. So when I climbed Everest, they could move me up and down the mountain at base camp there. You have Zoom calls so I could Zoom call into the classrooms. And so now all of a sudden I'm thinking my kids are going to be like, boo hoo hoo, I'm gone. No, they have like the whole community supporting them, excited. I talked to your mom, you know, blah, 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 blah. I summit. It's like the whole community summits. I'm the one who is boohooing because I'm sitting on the side of the mountain with no distractions, right? I'm like, oh, I miss my kids. But um, so like that problem was solved. There's like all these problems that show up, but they're just opportunities to get creative and find solutions because there's always a solution. Yeah, I've I've read a few books about Everest, um, and it seems like the physical part of it obviously is a challenge, but just the logistics and the problem solving going into the actual climb is probably equally challenging, if not more, I would assume. Yeah, I would say of the people that, I mean, we were in a unique year. So I climbed in 2021, which COVID was still kind of around. So a lot of teams didn't summit because COVID kind of came through. And so then expeditions would cancel. But um, I would say of normal year, the people that don't summit, it is probably 90% mind, not physical. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I have seven kids. If you want anybody to train a tough mindset, have a hundred children because you have to stay calm and patient during all the things that they do and have five boys in a row. I mean, every idea in my house is crowdfunded by the time I see what's going on. So you can just imagine how far down the lane something happened. You know, I'm like, this started with you thinking you were going to slide down the stairs in a pillowcase. And now it's someone's going to jump <laughs> off the railing to the sofa. Like, where were the steps in between that no one said stop? <laughs> like, tell me those. Getting back to your kids for a second. Uh, my mom is the oldest of seven. And uh, oh, the, in between, she's the oldest and t- her youngest sibling is 20 years younger. So the dichotomy there, as you can imagine, is uh, pr- pr- pretty intense. Uh, and as siblings naturally do, they they, they bicker, they, 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 you know, they go at each other. But at the end of the day, with, you know, that always was the case. They always seem to come together for their parents and the, and, and, and uh, their mother and father. Um, so for you, you know, 
after your accident and training for you know Mount Everest. Obviously, you mentioned your son kind of speaking into existence, Mount, Mount Everest. How instrumental just were they, you know, motivating you post-accident, kind of getting back to a, a place mentally to go out and, you know, accomplish these, these achievements and also, you know, training for Mount Everest and when you first started to, you know, cl- climb these mountains? Yeah, you know, my kids were paramount in all of it. One, they're watching. Two, we kind of made the decision like mom's going to climb Mount Everest. Kids don't have fear that adults have. So my kids are like, oh, cool. My mom's going to climb Everest. (laughs) Where grandma and grandpa are like, who do you think you are? You are not climbing Everest, right? Like this is the dumbest decision you've had. And so it's funny how kids have that. And then when you're chasing something big and hard, it almost gives them permission to chase something big and hard, right? And then my mom climbed Everest. Like my daughter will tell you she's going to climb it someday. I'm like, go ahead, right? I'll help you, whatever you want to do. And so it's just interesting to see how much they truly are watching. Because I don't think I was a bad mom before, but I definitely wasn't living, right? I was just kind of checking the boxes, going through the motions, doing the thing. And after the accident, we've been a much more engaged, interactive, like challenging type family. And I'll tell you, like, here's how much the goal became a family goal and not just mine. Um, Our favorite holiday is Christmas, like hands down. I mean, you can imagine, right? Seven kids, Christmas Mm -hmm. is magic. And Antarctica, you climb in December slash January, and they issue one permit a year for this mountain that I was going to climb in Antarctica. And so there's like a waiting list for it. I'm like pulling every card I can to try to get the one permit that they'll issue. I'm like, the only rule I have is I can't miss Christmas. And so by like the luck of the stars, I get the permit, right? So I'm like, amazing. And they're like, okay, but you have to leave December 18. I'm like, I can't go. I told you I can't miss Christmas. And then I thought to myself, well, that's not really fair that I made that decision by myself. So I actually pulled all the kids together I said, hey, guys, mom got the permit because they're all curious. They I mean, they're invested in this thing, too. Right. And so mom got the permit to climb in Antarctica. But I don't think I can go because it's during Christmas and I don't want to miss Christmas. And that was one of my rules. And like almost immediately, my third oldest goes, mom, you've always told us that Christmas is a feeling, not a day. Why does it matter what day we celebrate Christmas? And then my little kids are like smart enough to be like, they have friends that have two Christmases and they don't quite understand why, but they wish they had two Christmases. So like, does that mean we get two Christmases and blah, 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 blah. So we had like this whole conversation. I'm like, you know what? Let's think about it for a couple of days before mom makes a final decision. But good point, good ideas, blah, 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 blah. And we thought about it. We looked at it. I'm like, okay, we're going to celebrate Christmas here. And then they'll celebrate it again. And it's one year and da, 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 da. And so I end up going. You can imagine when I told people like I'm missing Christmas to go do this pursuit, the the fire back, right? Sure. Like everybody's opinions and their hate and what a terrible human I am and I couldn't believe this, blah, 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 blah. But I could weather that storm because the people that mattered the most were on page. We knew. We knew what it meant to us. We knew what people were going to say. We knew we had our plan in place. And so everything else became noise and it didn't stick. And that's one thing that I would say, like when you're doing something, if you know in your heart of hearts that the people you care most about are covered and everybody's on the same page, the noise doesn't stick. 
new hope, our name, our promise. Founded in 1987 by Dr. George Orvin, New Hope has been a beacon of hope and healing for youth across the country for decades and is committed to expanding our impact across the Carolinas and beyond. At our flagship 150-bed treatment facility in Rock Hill, South Carolina, we provide 24-7 residential behavioral health care to male and female youth with significant mental health challenges. Our team of behavioral health care experts deliver comprehensive care in a safe and structured environment. When a youth enters our care, they are often at the lowest point in their life. They've endured years of trauma and rejection. They have accepted a narrative that their life is hopeless, that they are destined to repeat a cycle of despair. That's where we come in. We are here to provide new hope to every youth in our care. New hope through therapy that breaks down walls and builds up their self-worth. New hope through teachers and education tailored to their unique needs. New hope through round-the-clock medical staff ensuring their physical health. New hope through recreation, play, and new experiences that develop life skills. And new hope through the healing power of positive relationships with every one of our team members. We break cycles. We rewrite life stories. It's our name. It's our promise. We are New Hope. So, Jen, there's a few different things. First of all, I think I just realized we're both Hope College grads. Yay! Yes! We got to do a shout out to Hope. Um, you're the more successful one of the two of us by far, <laughs> but we both did go there. <laughs> you must um, but no, I was actually, I was on your website earlier and I love the, the kind of tagline from a life of success to a life of significance. You know, we um, a decent amount of motivational speakers to New Hope to, to kind of try to share some inspiration to our kids. And, you know, a lot of times those speakers are truly from like a real place of like, like a real destitute place or an upbringing in the foster care system. And, and they've got some remarkable turnaround stories. Yours, it sounds like prior to 2018, you know, you were having a successful life. In some ways, you probably were having the life that a lot of modern Americans would say that's the life. So yours kind of went, but yours kind of took a step towards more depth than just more like stuff. It wasn't from like poor to wealthy. It was from going through the motions to meaning is kind of what it sounds like. Is that Definitely. fair? A hundred percent. Like here, it's interesting because my first career, actually crazy story about Hope College. I was going to Hope to be pre-med because I came from like a middle-class family. And like the only people that I knew that had money were doctors. And I'm like, and like the only kind of fights that I had at our house that I can remember were over money. So mm. I'm like, okay, here's my solution. I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to have money and I won't have any fights. <laughs> I wish it was that simple, but you know, you're a kid and you simplify and you can equate A to B to C. And I remember I was a junior, I was taking organic chem and my chemistry teacher pulled me aside and he goes, Jen, I don't think you should be a doctor. And I remember being like, what are you talking about? Like, are you kidding me? He's like, listen, he goes, I want you to look in this classroom. Do you know any of these kids in this classroom? I'm like, no, I don't. He goes, do you know where the library is on campus? I'm like, yeah, I think so. He goes, well, these kids live at the library 
And this is what they do. And so for the next eight years of your life, these are the people that you're going to be hanging out with all the time. And that's what your life's going to look like. And I just don't think that's a great fit for your personality. And I think you can have success another way. I remember like hating him until like a few, after a few years, I sent him a love letter, like best news I ever got. Thank you for caring about me and noticing who I was and blah, 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 blah. And so I went into finance, right? Because luckily a friend of mine ahead of me was like, Hey, you're expensive. This will help you make good money and you'll be able to afford all the stuff you waste money on. And so I got into finance. I learned the time value of money. I learned the importance of saving. I learned all these things that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. And I started this business. It started doing really, really well. On the outside, I was successful. Like I had the Porsche, I had the house, I had the vacations, I had all the things. And then I hired myself into a position to be a stay-at-home mom, like everybody's dream. And here I'm sitting there thinking I am dying on the inside. If you make me go to another holiday party where someone wears socks that matches a sweater that has a hairband with turkeys on it, I'm going to kill somebody, right? Like that's, I'm grateful that there's those women out there that love Pinterest and like up each other on the next Pinterest project. I'm a Pinterest fail. It's just not my realm at all. And so I just didn't have a space to be me. And that accident woke me up to the fact that I needed to create it and whatever it looked like, as long as it felt good to me, if I could close my eyes and feel my fingers and toes and things felt good, then I was doing the right thing. And I got into mountaineering, which many people would argue is one of the most selfish fields out there, right? They're like, you're, you're in this selfish thing. You're putting your life at risk. You have seven kids at home, blah, 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 blah. Mm. The impact I have had as a mountaineer, doesn't come close to any kind of impact I could have had donating every dollar I made in finance. Mm. It just couldn't. I mean, the stories like that came out of this adventure, like the quest to be the first woman to climb the seven second summits gave me direction. Then mm. how it unfolded and the way that the universe used me to make more possible, I could have never planned it. Like, so for example, I, one, I wasn't going to share the journey until it was done, right? It's a lot more fun to share it when it's finished than in the middle of it. One of my girlfriends is like, I'm never getting to these countries. I'm never going to see these places. The only way is through you. So start sharing on social media. So I opened up a social media account. I told them like, here's my pursuit. This random place calls me like three months into the pursuit. Hey, it looks like you need to go to Kenya. I'm like, yeah, I do. I just was saving it for the end. Well, we have been raising money to provide an ambulance for this area. We don't have enough money to send somebody over and represent our charity. If you're going there, would you partner with us and be the face of our charity and make this transaction happen? I'm like, yeah, I'll go to Kenya tomorrow. Are you kidding me? For sure. Do you have connections in Kenya then that can help me vet who the good climbing companies are there? Because I don't. Yes, we do. So all of a sudden, we were able to work together, right? I failed K2, my first attempt. So K2 is one of the deadliest mountains in the world. It's like crazy. My first attempt, I elected to turn around. I was on the mountain. One of my teammates passed away in an avalanche that was lower down the mountain. I had the choice to continue climbing or to go down. I'm like, I'm not climbing this mountain. It will always be here. I'm going to go down and take care of my team. So I went down, I took care of my team. I hiked out. I was deflated. Of course. Like, do I want to come back? No. Do I want to spend all that time, money, resources, and everything? No. But like when I got home, 
My kids came home from camp a couple of days later and they're like, mom, did you summit? No, I didn't, but I had success. And they looked at me confused. I'm like, who we show up as people is way more important than anything we'll ever achieve. And so I had success because I showed up as a person I'm proud of. And in your future, you're going to have choices where you can put people over peaks. And I sure hope that you always pick people instead of the peaks. So they're like, okay, kind of understanding, right? This next year, I have to train to go back to Pakistan to climb K2 again. And now I know what I'm getting into, right? Now I have memories that I have to overcome and do all this kind of stuff. Three weeks before it's time to go back to Pakistan, I get a phone call. They're like, hey, Jen, are you coming back? I'm like, yes, I am coming back. Like, I need to climb this mountain to get my world record. They're like, hey, there's this individual that's been training to climb this peak, but doesn't have the resources to make it happen. Can you help? I'm like, yeah, I can help a little bit. Let me pull gear and all that kind of stuff. So I go back to Pakistan on July 22 of 2022. I become the third American female to stand on a summit. And 30 minutes later, the first Pakistani female, the first Muslim female stands on top of her country's prized peak, Mm. right? That failure led to an opportunity that was bigger than I could have ever imagined. I got to be a part of a story that is hopefully the start of changing women's rights throughout the world. Mm. Were were you actually, you were there with her on Mm -hmm. the peak? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, that's incredible! Incredible. Jen, one of the, as you're talking about parenting, it's it's interesting, and um, it sounds like you probably had to deal with a little bit of a hate, a little bit of hate, a little bit of judgment potentially. As every there's just it, there's it's no there's no avoiding it. I think in modern modern life, but when you're talking about how the this has had a positive impact on your kids. Um, I think that's really interesting. I talk with a lot of friends, you know, I'm, I'm a um, parent of younger kids and, you know, kind of consider myself somebody trying to navigate parenting in the modern world. And we talk a lot about the pitfalls of modern parenting. And I chalk a lot of it up to, it seems like um, an over centering of that the whole universe revolves around the kids and that, that there is a potential again, as a mental health guy, there's potential real dangers in that for kids and for people growing up that the, for them to think that the whole world is going to revolve around them and the whole world is going to bend to them because it certainly is not going to. Right. So you actually, you actually having a thing and you being more than just the person who takes care of their needs, but actually your kids can look and say, Hey, mom's got interest as a separate human being. She's not just mom. She's also this woman who likes to do this and a woman who likes to do that and a woman who, like, I think that's a, um, becoming increasingly rare, maybe. And maybe that's why that's just intrinsically so healthy for kids. I, I just, for kids to actually see their parents as people and not just as um, the people who shuttle them to and from the 55 things that they have all day or that are constantly doing their, their um, school projects to post on Pinterest or whatever. I don't know. I just think there's something in modern parenting we're getting a little bit wrong. And um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? No, 100%. So I had a therapist, right? Because I'm like, listen, I wanted to make sure like this is we like this is our this is our generation. Our parents would have been like, do you have a bike? 
I mean, I like go, go bike to the ice cream store if you wanted to buy ice cream, right? Like all that kind of stuff. It's just so different where me, I call a therapist. I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm thinking of climbing Everest. What kind of ramifications do I need to think about for my kids with me being gone? Like I was that worried about my humans. Right. And my therapist met with me and she's like, listen, you need to demonstrate a life that you would want your children to live. Do you want your son, Jack, to stay at home and not do anything that excites him so that he can be there in case someone forgot their lunch? Like, does any kid want to be a parent if that's what's involved in parenthood? Right. And so, like, she goes, anytime that you're trying to make a decision, the easiest way for me to decide if it's a good decision for me is, like, would I want my kid in this circumstance to make this decision or would I want them to make a different decision? And that's been what's given me permission to be like, hey, guess what? I want to show them what it's like to be a mom and do cool things that get you excited about life. Because guess what? When you're doing things that get you excited, it spills into everything you do. Right. Yeah, it's, I, I think there's a, it doesn't have to be um, either or, right? And it, it's, right. It's, it's an uh, and. Right. Yeah, it's got to be both and. because And especially that's actually, I think, what modern life affords um, us more than maybe any other time is some flexibility and some ability to be at our kids' things while still having our own things. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a blessing in that if you can find it. Yeah. So... You talked earlier about a vision, you know, vision board, right? What what's on your vision board next? What's what's coming up? What what do you have? What's your next thing? It seems like there's going to be something big, I would assume. Yeah. Well, one of the things, to be honest with you, is when I first I finished this quest June 1st of 2023. So just this last year. And I'll tell you, I was a little sad when it was done because it gave me so much purpose and direction and everything. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this was so hard. And here I am, right? Now what? Right. And I realized society teaches us to go like, what's next? What's next? What's next? I need to show my kids that we need the time to recalibrate and recharge and appreciate what is. Because the extraordinary will take care of itself. It's learning how to make the ordinary extraordinary that is challenging. And so I really committed to myself for this next year that I'm not doing, I'm not saying yes to anything that's big. I'm not taking on the next thing until I give myself time to just center and be like, okay, here's who I am. What do I want this next thing to look like? The same time I am taking three of my boys to Africa. We're going to go climb Kilimanjaro. (laughs) That's funny. You said it earlier in February. Fantastic. So that's just a basic thing. Yeah, (laughs) that's a basic thing. I mean, (laughs) it sounds a little extreme, but it's kind of, they wanted to climb one of the mountains and I took them out and I'm like, you know what? The safest option for you guys to have this experience is to do Kilimanjaro. So we'll do Kilimanjaro together. What, What makes Kilimanjaro the safest option? I'm curious about that. Um, well, there's, it's a hike. So there's not any real climbing pieces. Um, The weather's pretty predictable. It's climbed by about 35,000 people a year. So there's a lot of resources for if something goes wrong or something goes sideways. Like the second summits, one of the reasons why they're difficult is because they're so remote. 
So you're like the only people and you're an airplane away from a rescue or whatever else. Right. So you're always trying to play if something goes wrong, like how fast can we get good medical attention or things happen? And because it's a walk, if they start getting altitude sickness or whatever else like that, we can walk back down and get them to where they need to be. Um, it's, it gives me a chance to train with them. It gives me a chance for them to feel hard in their body and know what that feels like. And then know what it feels like to overcome hard because the, and they're away from technology, which is a huge thing. You know, right. it's hard for me to have any kind of meaningful relationships with them on a consistent basis when they have a casino in their pocket. That is also a shopping mall and also, a, you know, like everything. And so I, tr- I wanted to find an experience that we could have where go ahead, bring your phone. It's not going to work. Huh. <laughs> you know, I, I think, Oh, that's so cool. That's going to be uh, I mean, that'll be something that they remember forever. Yeah. Shared experiences. It's, you know, we're big in my family about doing some things together and they might not, you know, I look back on, my parents are a little bit older, right? My dad's in his nineties. And, uh, I always think about like childhood and things that we did together. And it wasn't always something that included a plane ride and a beach somewhere. We used to camp on the weekends and any, when I, when I pull my memories up of childhood, it's going to get Christmas trees, camping. Some of those shared experiences mean so much even though my dad worked for the airline and we could fly to Hawaii or Aruba, that was kind of cool, but it was really some of those other things that really landed for me. Or when I think back on it, it certainly does. Um, that was going to build into a question, a real technical question. And I'm a little bit of a Everest nerd. Can you, t- <laughs> can you talk about that? The Hillary step I've read about it. And yeah. it seems like when I read about the Hillary step, it's, it just seems extremely difficult. Is it as difficult as you one might imagine? I would. I mean, here I'll be like, this is terrible to say. We got to the top of Everest, and I looked back at my guide. I'm like, where was the Hillary step? You didn't. <laughs> Wait, what is like, I'm like, I like my whole climb. Like, so I'm afraid of heights. So that section where you have to go over the ladders, yeah. Like, sweating bullets, like super scary for me. It is not OSHA approved. You know, you step on one yeah. side of the ladder, the other side goes up in the air, you know, the yeah. ropes are loose. Like, I mean, it was a nightmare for me. So like, once I got through that, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm good. Now I just have the Hillary step. So like you freak out about the Hillary step, like the entire climb, right? You're and how often it. do we do this in our own lives with whatever our mountain is? Like there's one crux move that like weighs on us the entire time. I get to the top of Everest and I'm like, wait a minute, where was the Hillary step? Are you kidding me right now? And that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't anything crazy, which the, I, it is what it is. They're lesson learned. I've never heard the Hillary step. Is that supposed to be like the crux deal breaker? Move. Yeah. I mean, it's not, everybody gets it, but it's just, an exposed step that you have to take on the mountain that I didn't realize we took. So I was devastated. I'm like, <laughs> show me where it is on the way down. Well, you probably, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, yeah. it's some technical step. Like when you read about it, there's not like a comparable step or move on any other mountain. Like there's some, because of the height and the technical nature of that move, it's like unparalleled is what I've read. And like to Jen's point, people talk about it, they plan for it. Jen gets to the top and goes, where the heck was? 
I'm so mad. I was so mad because I don't know if you know how much real estate that operated in my brain. Because like, here's the reality. I was on the summit and here's another lesson for everybody listening. I was on the summit of Everest for 10 minutes. I trained 1,238 hours to spend 10 minutes on the top of that mountain. (laughs) So you better enjoy the journey because those 10 minutes go so darn fast that you're like, what just happened? Right. And then you miss. So like of that time, I mean, that Hillary step rented so much real estate in my brain. It's not even funny. By 1,238 hours worth. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then some, because while I was sleeping and dreaming and whatever else like that, I will say for everybody who's listening, if you're looking for a great family activity, okay, I, I say this as a mama seven. The minute your kids can get into scuba diving, get into scuba diving, Hmm. okay? One, no one can talk. For a whole hour, you're underwater with a device in your mouth, and so no one's talking. Two, no one's better than somebody else, right? It isn't like, hey, let's swim from this thing to that thing. It's like, how many critters and things can we see during this hour that we're underwater, So it's a great equalizer when you have people of different abilities on sports, no one talks. And then afterwards you get to share all your stories and it's just a really unique bonding experience with your family. Hmm. So I like, especially families who don't get along well, you don't have to talk like an hour. No one talks for a whole hour. Perfect. We're we're obviously we're kind of in the mental health world. We work with a lot of kids and young people and young adults who overcome, you know, or are in the process of overcoming all kinds of trauma and hardship. And, um, you know, some folks who might be listening to this might say, you know, yeah, I'd love to do something epic like that, but like I'm struggling to get out of bed in the morning. You know, my depression sometimes is like that, that crippling. And where do you find the balance between, you know, that kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but also understanding that people have, some of these real things. And what would you recommend to those people? What's the first step towards better from your journey? Like, how's that played out? Because some people um, aren't, some people don't have that same. Yeah. Everybody's built the same. Everybody's wired the same. Everybody's circumstances are the same. But obviously we believe we want to be doing what we do if we don't believe that everybody can move forward and everybody can take a step forward. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, one, I think having a common language so everybody understands So for example, in our house, we have the word Everest. So if somebody has an Everest right now, I know that that's their biggest, hardest thing that they're working on. Mm. Maybe it's breaking up in a relationship. Maybe it's a math test. Maybe it's making the soccer team or whatever it is. It's different things for different kids at different times. But when they use the term Everest, that means, okay, I need to hold space. I need to listen. This is their Everest. It might not be an Everest to me, but I'm not the one who gets to use that word. They do. And now we all know what that means for everybody in our family. Hmm. So I think that's a really important thing because then you all communicate at the same level instead of using your lens to say like, well, that's not an Everest, right? Like, I mean, that you don't get to say that. Right. Everybody hmm. gets to declare their own Everest. And then also like just celebrating the tiniest wins, okay? Like I think we have a tendency to make life so serious and so hard that we forget that this is can be fun and that we're allowed to celebrate along the way. So for example, I was scared out of my mind to do that stupid ladder at Everest. 
right? Like I literally wrote myself a note for when it would get hard on the mountain. And so that's the time that I pulled that note out and read it back to myself, right? I read notes from my friends. I listened to music. I listened to Vanilla Ice where it has that line, like anything less than the best is a felony. I'm like, okay, if I don't give up my best, I'm a felony, you know, like just silly things. And then when it was time to climb that ladder, I remember like the only way I'm going to get across this is if I say safe step, because that's the only thing I can control. So I go safe step, safe step, safe step. And I actually said it out loud to myself so that no other thoughts could like leech on. Mm. And then when we got to the other side, I mean, we danced, we had a dance party because I had so many nerves in my body. I needed to get that energy out. Right. And so that energy has to get out of us some way. And so we had a dance party. Um, and so just at, like recognize, like, is this sensation that you have that's feeling crippling or heavy or overwhelming? Um, is there another perspective you can take around it? Right. Mm -hmm. Is it like, oh, my body's proud of me because I just did a huge thing yesterday. And so now it's recovering or there's just so many our power lies in our story. And so just learning how to write the story that benefits yourself instead of keeps yourself stuck is probably one of the most important superpowers you can have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like you said, I think the, uh, what I'm taking away from some of your story is, you know, a life's life is both long, incredibly long and incredibly short. It's a bizarre thing, but I think we can get ourselves boxed into an identity or to your point, a story and who we are in that story and what the characters are. And if we're not careful, that can go by in 20 years like a splash and we can look back and say, you know what? I actually didn't want to be that character in that story. I want to be that character in that story, but you gotta, you gotta get started at some point or it's not going to happen. Yeah. And it's hard because it's the death of you to become someone new. Right. right. So like you right. have to be willing to let that part of you die. I mean, I had to be willing. I remember, and you got to be careful, like who you share some of your stuff with in the beginning. When I wanted to climb Everest, my first phone call was not my mom. Because my mom would have like beat that idea up and I would have gotten nowhere with it. Right. Yeah. So my first phone call was to a coach. Then the coach introduced me to some people that had climbed Everest. I actually went out to lunch with some of these people and talked to them and realized, guess what? They spill ketchup on their shirt and are human just like me. And so now all of a sudden I was hanging out with people that Everest was normal. Everest was something they'd done. So it normalized it. So then when I call my mom, I have a different voice. I have a different confidence. I have a different level that I'm addressing this circumstance with because of how I incubated the idea before I shared it prematurely. And I think sometimes we share things prematurely to sabotage ourselves when we really look at it. Right. Right. Do you think this is a good idea? No. Okay, cool. All right. Cool. Yeah, I'm good. I'm <laughs> off the hook. Never mind. Works for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I didn't want to do that anyways. But actually, yeah, a little part of you kind of dies on it. That's a really good, it's a good thought, good strategy on like finding some people who are going to affirm it if you really want it to be affirmed. Um, yeah. yeah, that's good stuff. My wife working at New Hope is to provide students with support in the social, emotional, and academic aspect of their life. My why for being here is because these kids need somebody to hear them and see them. My why is I've been in the communities for so long with the residents, now I get the opportunity to work with the families and meet the families. My why is I like to help. I think I was born with that in my nature, so I like helping. I help everyone in the building, 
as well as our residents and their families. My why is to, because I want to create a safe environment, a comfortable environment for my students to be able to learn and grow. I put smiles on kids' faces that I love seeing every single day. I am at New Hope because this is a place that inspires change for young kids and for adults. I'm here in New Hope working to make a difference in these young girls and boys' lives, giving them an example of what a role model should be and leading them and guiding them in the right direction. My why for being in New Hope is the residents. I love the kids. It's awesome. My why is seeing the change and the process being made. It's just awesome to see them come in, not want to be here. Then they get here, it's like being a family. Uh, Jen, one of the things on your horizon and on that that vision board of yours uh, that's coming up in the, the not so distant future is the release of your book, uh, Break Proof, on January 9th. Just talk about that a little bit. Um, you know w what the book is about uh, when when you started uh, writing the book and kind of you know when you start to conceptualize and uh, envision writing a book. Uh, just get into that a little bit. Yeah. That would be one of those things I wish it would take more time before I said yes on. <laughs> um, so I was like halfway through the pursuit and I went out to lunch with a friend and I was like, you know, asking all the questions about the stories. They're like, these are riveting stories and I don't even like mountaineering. He's like, you need to write a book. I'm like, okay, sounds good. That sounds fun. And like the interesting thing about climbing a mountain is that metaphors, building a business or living life so much. Right. And so what I do in the book is I take the reader on the adventure to each mountain. And then at each mountain, we highlight a specific thing that I kind of became aware of that allowed me to climb that mountain and get to the top of that particular summit so that people can reflect back on their own lives and be like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Or, oh, I can see this happen here. I titled the book Break Proof. And the reason why I titled it Break Proof is because we break. In our break is the proof of what's working, what's not working, what do we know now to be able to go up the mountain higher? Is this even the mountain that we still want to climb? So part of being resilient and achieving your life goals is evaluating those breaks and becoming break proof in your pursuit. Awesome. Resilient. I'll and jump in for a second, Patrick. Sorry, when's the book coming out? Um, the book comes out January 9. It's in pre-order right now. And um super excited about it. You mentioned you used the word resilient, and I think that plays really well and applies to all the kids we work with, right? Some of the histories of these young these youngsters that we work with would, you know, it's heartbreaking just to see some of the things they've had to endure, live through, and the trauma they've been exposed to. And I can say confidently that those, I've learned a lot working with kids. One of the biggest things I've learned working with kids is resiliency and how important that is in, in anyone's life. So I'm glad you brought that up. Well, they're resilient. Whatever Absolutely. tactics that they've employed have kept them alive, right. right? As unhealthy or as destructive as they might be, that version of them needed that to get to where they are today. So right. now that resiliency is, is in breaking open and looking at these ways that they show up and say like, is there proof that I still need to act this way? Or is there space to do something different? Because now I'm in a different space. Now I'm a different human. Now maybe there's a different way forward that yes, this version of me served me so well because it brought me here today. But that right. version of you 
now needs to be let go of so you can get to somewhere else. Jen, wrapping up, as we've done on Stuff That Matters, asking you that exact question. Uh, again, this is just a chance for you to kind of recap your overall message, hammer home the things that are most important to you. And obviously, th- th- there's a lot. So, you know, feel free to take your time and answer this question. But I'm going to ask you now, for Jen Drummond, what is the stuff that matters? Um, having the confidence to know that if something comes into my mind that excites me and that full body excitement, that I'm allowed to pursue that as crazy as it is, right? I had a thriving business, stay at home, mom, seven kids. And then I stepped into mountaineering zero sense whatsoever until I got through it. Things don't make sense till we're on the other side of them. So understanding that it being awkward and funny and not right in the beginning is part of it. That's awesome. I love it, man. I'm I'm excited. Like I, um, I'm going to text my brother. My brother made me go hike Mount St. Helens with him at his 40th. Yes. And we had two weeks of prep and it was horribly rainy the night before. So we laid out my boots next to the fire and they both got holes burnt in the bottom of them. And it was a terrible experience. It was the best experience of my favorite memories. We didn't make it all the way. And we've been playing around with going back. And I'm going to text him in two seconds. Like we're going we got- we're going back. Doing this. We're going back. So That's awesome. you know, thank you so much for sharing your story and for just how you're living. And um, if you're ever on the east side of the country and want to stop by and motivate a bunch of kids and staff, we got 500 staff who are dedicating their lives to helping our kids every day. And just the kind of message of, um, yeah, just taking control of your life and, and you know, living into your purpose. I just think that um, hits everybody. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. Well, check out Jen's book and podcast and website. Um, Please um, support her and support everything she's doing. And Jen, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen to this episode and all episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or you can watch episodes on YouTube. And if you're interested in being a part of the New Hope mission, please visit newhopetreatment.com for more information. Again, that's newhopetreatment.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.